Father, we thank you for the word tonight. We thank you that we can do this study, that we can explore these people who made it into Scripture, who made it into the Hall of Fame of Faith, not for the purpose of just historical knowledge or Bible knowledge, but for the purpose of understanding what got them in the Hall of Fame of Faith. God, your word says without faith it's impossible to please you. So, Father, this is an important study for us so that we can understand how to please you, so that our lives can be blessed, we can enjoy all the blessings you have for us. We just ask that you would open up our hearts and minds tonight. We would learn something from Samson tonight. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews 11.32, And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon or Barak, Samson, Jephthah or David and Samuel and the prophets. So all of these people here that were mentioned, as we've said in prior weeks, you know, the, the ones we're looking at, Gideon, Barak, who ministered with Deborah, and now Samson were judges. And they all appear in the book of Judges. And uh, Judges was a time period in Israel's history where it was leaderless, meaning that, you know, they had no uh, high priestly office. They had no uh, priesthood. It, it was scattered. It was disjointed. They had no king. Uh, so there was this idea where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Man, if that's not our generation, I don't know what is. In fact, you can't even, you can't even suggest to someone that they might want to do something different without getting their ire up because we live in the generation where, man, I'll do whatever I want and don't you dare question me. And even if it's upside down, who are you to say what's right or wrong? Who are you to say what's male or female? Who are you to say what a marriage should be? If I want to marry my St. Bernard, what's that to you? <laughs> We're not quite there yet, but I probably shouldn't even joke. But Israel did what was right in its own eyes. In those days, there was no king, Judges 17, 6. And every man did what was right in his own eyes. This attitude produced a spiritual cycle that was so destructive in Israel's history. And the spiritual cycle looked something like this. They would sin, they would go into bondage. We see it over and over again. Somebody comes in and conquers them and carries them away as slaves. Does that sound fun? No. Sin is fun for a season. The pleasures of sin are for a season. But then what comes is the consequence of sin, and that's bondage. So they're in bondage, and it's hard bondage. And they cry out to God. He sends a judge for them. Uh, he delivers them. He restores them. They serve God for a little while, rinse and repeat. They do it over and over again. Fifteen judges. So these judges were instruments of God's deliverance, and they were sent to bring the people out of bondage back into right relationship with God. In some ways, our generation needs a judge. Unfortunately, the book of Judges is closed, and Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, that's going to be too late for some people. So we can't do what's right in our own eyes. Jesus is that instrument of deliverance that whosoever would call upon him would be saved. So uh, we're looking at these judges here. Let's look at Samson. Most of us know who Samson is. I mean, uh, he's an interesting Bible character to say the least. Here's some facts about Samson. Samson. Samson was the second to the last judge. Samuel, the prophet, was after him, and Samuel was the last judge. So you have Samson, and then you have Samuel, and that's it for the period of judges. Most of us know that Samson was supernaturally strong, amen? And I want to I make sure 
that we get the idea that he wasn't just a strong guy. You know, it's not like he worked out all the time and he did the keto diet and he had a lifetime subscription to muscle and fitness. He was always at the gym, gym rat. You know, no, he, it wasn't natural strength. It wasn't cultivated strength. It wasn't strength that, that was born out of discipline. It was supernatural strength. And the things he does, there are no explanation for uh, in this leaderless period, God decides to, to raise up a guy and use this divine supernatural strength. And we find out that it was connected to his Nazarite vow, but specifically to his long hair. Amen. Nothing makes religious people more angry than if you grow your hair too long. Bible school, they, had, they would measure it. It had to be above the collar, right? So he's got long hair and his anointing is tied to that. Samson judged Israel for 20 years. So it wasn't a short period. It was a, a long judgeship there. 20 years at this time, you know, Israel was persecuted by their perennial enemy, the Philistines. And you can't read too much of the Old Testament history without running into the Philistines. They were that thorn in the flesh. You know, they were always against Israel. And he's raised up in this period to bring them out of bondage from the Philistines. Now, Samson was a Danite. He was from the tribe of Dan. And there is something interesting about the tribe of Dan. They were a tribe that had not yet been given a territorial possession. So they were a nomadic tribe. They kind of wandered around and bounced around. They didn't, you know, all the tribes got, got a home spot and they got their own section of land, but Dan didn't. And so they bounced around. They were nomadic in nature. And they didn't put roots down. This is kind of consistent with New Testament Christianity, not in the fact that we're all nomads, but the fact that we're sojourners here. Did you know you're a citizen of heaven first and of the United States second? Well, maybe you got dual citizenship. That's fine. But you're a citizen of heaven first. You and I are sojourners here. What does that mean? We're not building our kingdom here. We're not laying our roots down here. We're not living all our experiences and, and have this bucket list and we got to do all this stuff before. No, we're just passing through here. Now, we're shaking our heads and you're saying yes, but you know what? We get mixed up on this and we get too connected to, to this world. And you know what? We need to focus on the next world because we're not putting our roots down here. So Samson, being a Danite, being nomadic, he kind of mirrors the New Testament church in the sense that, you know, he, he didn't have his roots down here and he was nomadic. He kind of bounced around. You kind of find out that he spent a lot more time in Philistine territory than he did with his own people. That's going to be a problem at some point. Uh, Samson's birth itself was a miracle because his mother was barren. In Judges 13, it, it shows that his, his mom and dad were godly people. His mother was barren. God promised her. He said, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, he said in Judges 13, 2 and 3. By God's instruction, Samson was born a Nazarite. You say, well, what does that mean? Uh, the, a Nazarite was a vow. The vow of the Nazarite is described in Numbers 6, and it specified that you would never cut your hair, you would never eat or drink anything made from grapes, so there was no fermented beverages, no, Samson wasn't allowed to partake of wine, wasn't allowed to cut his hair, and he didn't handle dead things. Now, you're going to see that in some ways he, he was born into this Nazarite vow, and, and he broke it at certain occasions, and, and he pushed the envelope in certain ways. You know, some of us as New Testament Christians, 
it's not that we try to sin, but sometimes we try and push the envelope. Hello? Try to get as close to the world as we can without being lost and still being saved. Anybody? Come on, don't look so innocent out there. Samson pushed the envelope on that Nazarite vow. You say, well, he never asked for it. No, but God asked him to take it. Now, a Nazarite vow is usually taken for a limited time, but God commanded Samson to be a Nazarite from the womb until the day of his death. Judges 13, 5, it says here, he was to be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. So a lifetime Nazarite vow. Not an easy thing, but it was the it was the thing that consecrated him. What does that mean? It set him apart for God. So he, he had some things that he had to keep up his end on. And we're going to see every time he pushes the envelope or crosses the line, uh, there is a consequence. Samson had major character flaws. Can anybody relate? Two humble people. One person pointed at their spouse. No, just kidding. Character flaws. You say, oh my goodness, some of the people God uses in the Bible. You know, Moses killed a guy. David committed adultery and killed somebody. I mean, here's Samson. Samson's got major character flaws. Listen, and none of these flaws in, in him or none of these uh, mistakes and, or, or lines that he crossed stopped God from choosing him or using him. And I want you to get that today. Well, I'm not perfect. So God can't use me wrong. That's exactly wrong. In fact, if you're not perfect and you know it, God can use you. It's the people who are imperfect and think they are that God cannot use. Samson had major character flaws, and God chose him, and he used him. This encourages us in a way, and it should warn us in a way. It's encouraging in the sense that we understand we don't have to be perfect, have a perfect track record, a perfect past to be used by God. If we are willing, God will use us. If we are teachable, God will use us. If we are quick to repent, God will use us. Not perfect, those other things. It's a warning in the sense that Samson suffers some really horrible consequences as the result of his recklessness, and his presumptuousness. He's presumptuous. He thinks he can do whatever he wants. It's almost like he's one of these ultra grace guys. Yeah, I can sin. I can, I can do whatever I want. I can cross any line because it's all under the blood, bro. Yeah, you know, God forgives me. I'm forgiven. You know, and, and we get this loose, fast theology that, that's, you know, it, it's not holy. It's, it's sinful, and it crosses lines. And Samson was like that. And, and you got to understand, uh, yeah, it's Old Testament. Yeah, uh, it's an interesting situation that God is using him for. But the warning is every time he crossed the line, it cost him something. You and I need to see that the wages of sin are death. Will it cost me my salvation? No, that's a free gift from God, amen? But you know what? Some of us are going to get to heaven and have a hell of a time getting there because we continue to sin and to sin and to cross lines and to push boundaries, amen? Come on, Wednesday night, don't clam up on me now. We're just getting warmed up. So Samson had serious issues, and the warning should be for us that the consequences of sin that he endures were never pleasant. Uh, he had serious issues with women with the opposite sex. There are many men that have issues with women and many women that have issues with men. The opposite sex is, is 
something that, you know, is, is a hurdle for a lot of people. He refuses to listen to his parents. He refuses to marry a godly woman from his own people. He constantly messes with pagan women and prostitutes. Bad. I've heard people try to justify this. Well, God let him do that to, you know, because he was trying to, listen, there's never a, an excuse for blatant sexual sin. And, you know, I've heard all kinds of people try to use David's adultery or Samson's loose lifestyle to justify their own. And listen, it ain't going to work. He got away with some things that, you know, make me scratch my head, and so did David. But, you know, that, that's between them and God to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, these guys, uh, especially Samson, he had issues with women. And the women he picked, uh, the... He always chose with his eyes. And when I taught through Judges, I talked about this. Samson did not choose a woman by her character, by her heart, by her actions. He chose with his eyes. That's a bad way to choose a spouse. Ladies, that's a bad way. Oh, but he's, you know, six-pack abs, and he's just a... Choose wisely. Choose someone with character, choose someone who's spiritually compatible. Samson chose with his eyes. He messed around with these ungodly women and, and with these harlots. And the one harlot, Delilah, uh, she becomes his nemesis. And he, she plays him and betrays him all through uh, the, the whole situation. And he foolishly lets it happen. Why? Because he's reckless and presumptuous. So those are some things about Samson. Let's look at the exploits of his judgeship and see what landed him in the hall of fame of faith. You know, when we examine what this guy has done, I'm going to hit the highlights of his life. Uh, his, his life is chronicled in Judges 14 through Judges 16. Um, and in Judges 14, verse 4, something interesting happens to Samson, and it's a phrase that we're going to hear several times in these chapters. It says, And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. You hear that? That's the Holy Spirit. So here's this guy. He's just a guy. We don't even know if he was big or he was muscular or whatever. He might have just been an average-looking guy. I think, I think probably if, if I understand the way God does things, he'd probably do something like that. Just take a little average guy and then what? Let the Holy Ghost fall upon him so he endows him with mighty strength. That's not natural. It's supernatural. But what I want you to get here is that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. That's a big deal because in the Old Testament, no one was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit just rested on people for specific times to do a specific job, and then he withdrew himself. Why? Because man was intrinsically sinful, and the Holy Spirit, uh, this might come as a shock to you, is holy. So holiness doesn't sit on sinfulness say, well, how in the world do we get filled with the Holy Spirit? Because of the blood of Jesus that broke the power of sin over us, the veil is torn in two, amen? And now we, God in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. The New Testament situation is amazing here. Uh, Old Testament wasn't like that. So it's a big deal here. Two things happen for the first time in Judges 14. Number one, the Holy Spirit comes on him. That's a big deal. And uh, he, he's, he's endowed with this great strength. The manifestation of the Holy Spirit is supernatural strength. Now, that's not always what the Holy Spirit does. You know, if, if the Holy Spirit comes upon you, don't try and lift anything heavy. Just, you know, go with it. You know, well, I want to be like Samson. Easy. 
this was a unique situation. The manifestation of the Holy Spirit on this guy was supernatural strength. Nothing what Samson did was plausible, explainable. None of what he accomplishes is the byproduct of his own discipline or training or savvy in any way. It's supernatural strength. And this is the first time that, you know, the, the, the strength comes upon him. And it, it's, a, it's a big moment here. God has raised up a new judge in Israel. And this guy, I mean, he, talk about, you know, God uses all kinds of people to, to bring deliverance to his people. But this guy was the roughest, toughest. I mean, some of the stuff he does is so extremely violent. If, it, if you made a movie out of it, it'd be rated R. Uh, we're going to get to some of that. The first thing we see here is, uh, Samson kills 30 Philistines as the result of uh, the fact that he wants to marry this woman from Timnath. Now, this woman from Timnath, is, she's a Philistine. She is not uh, an Israelite. His parents protest uh, in Judges 14. They say, can't you find a girl from your own people? You know, when it comes to choosing a spouse, listen to your parents, young people. Listen, nobody knows you better than you. If I brought someone home and my mom was like, uh-uh, usually she'd be like, why is she going out with you? You're, she's not, you know. When I brought Kim home, they're like, how did you trick her? You know. But listen to your parents. Listen to what your father says. Listen to what your mother says. Samson didn't. His father's like, come on. And his mother's like, you know, can't you find anybody else? And he goes, I want her. Go get her for me. Whoa. You know, now his parents... Uh, they protest, but, you know, they figure out that God is in this somehow and that, you know, they get the drift that God is going to use this as an occasion to judge the Philistines. So somehow the Lord lets them know that Samson wants to marry this girl from Timnath at the wedding with the wedding party. What? It's all these heathens. It's all these Philistines and they don't like him. So what do they do? He, he decides to share a riddle at the wedding, at the marriage feast there, and they cheat to get the answer to the riddle by making his bride divulge it to them under duress. They're like, we're going to kill you unless you tell us the answer to the riddle. And, you know, she cracks and she gives him up and he loses the wager he made with them. He's got to give them all these sets of clothes and all this stuff. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's embarrassing and humiliating for him. So what does he do? He, in Judges 14, 19, the spirit of the Lord comes upon him mightily. And, you know, this is an opportunity for him to show his divine strength. So what does he do? He goes and kills 30 Philistines and takes their clothes and all their stuff, and he uses that to pay his debt to those swindlers at his wedding party. And you might think, this is not a good way to start off with your in-laws. But his in-laws were outlaws. And so God was judging them. God was provoking them. Uh, he kills 30 men, and he, he takes their goods, and he, he, he pays off his debt with that. Now, God is using some really weird mechanisms to judge the Philistines here. Can we agree on that? God may never do anything like this again, but what he does here is unique. And what he's doing is he's showing both Israel and the Philistines that he can do whatever he wants when he decides to execute judgment. Israel needs to understand, look, I'm the Lord your God. You guys keep falling away from me. You guys keep going into sin. Watch how I handle your enemies. I'm God. Don't mess with me. Everybody's learning a lesson here. Sometimes the people of God need to learn uh, about their God so that they have more honor and respect and commitment to their God. Amen? Here's 
God just, you know, he, he, he kills 30 guys. Now you think that that's, that's a pretty high body count. You ain't seen nothing yet. It's going to get bigger. God is proving himself to Israel. He's wooing them back to repentance. He's showing the Philistines, look, you guys are, you guys are squaring off against the God of heaven and earth here, and it's not going to work out good for you. God is saying, I can deliver by armies. I can deliver by a single man, or I don't need to use any of that because I'm God. Now, the next exploit that he does is he kills a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of an ass. Now, if you know anything about military history, that is not a common weapon that's issued to soldiers. Private Leonardi, here's your jawbone, here's your helmet, get online. Hurry up and wait. No, that's an unconventional weapon to say the least. So there again, God showing his divine power in Judges 15. Uh, 14 through 15, it says once again, and the spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. So there again, this is a Holy Spirit thing. Now, why is he getting into conflict here? Because after the whole thing went down with his riddle and killing the 30 and paying off his debt, Samson's wife was given away to his best man. Does that sound fun to anybody? No. Some people are glaring at their wives right now. You know, understand, you say, well, what is that about? That's about heartbreak. That's about heartache. That's about betrayal. We gloss over this and we think, oh, you know, it's just part of the story. Let's just move on. He was not feeling very good at this moment. He was angry. He was humiliated. And he was, you know, he wanted, he wanted to exact justice at that point. His wife is given away to his best man. His father-in-law realized he messes up and he, just, he tries to give her sister away to him. Samson is like, no dice. So why? Because he chose this girl with his eyes and now he wanted what he lusted after. And he wasn't going to get her. And he's offered, you know, we'll take her younger sister. And he, you know, I, you know, I don't know what the deal was there, but he, he didn't want her. He, and he's humiliated, and now he's angry, and he's hell-bent on retribution. Notice, uh, his response to things here is a little over the top, but understand, it's not a justified response in the sense that we should behave like that, but it's justified in the sense God was provoking the Philistines and even stirring up Samson to judge them, and it was an unconventional thing, but it's the way God chose to do it. So what does he do? He's angry, he's humiliated, he wants revenge. He goes and he catches 300 foxes to catch one fox or two fox. If you know anything about foxes, they are some of the smartest animals in the woods. If a deer smells where a fox has urinated, it will let down all its guard and feel safe because it knows it's a safe spot. Foxes are some of the smartest. To catch one fox, to catch two fox, you know, he catches 300. That's divine. I, I just have no other word. 300 foxes, and what does he do with them? He ties their tails together. Yeah, that's like worse than trying to bathe cats. He takes 300 foxes. He ties their tails together. Now, this sounds like a tall tale, but it's not because it's God's word and it happened and it's part of the judgment here. It's the divine thing. He ties their tails together. He connects a torch to their tail. He lights the torch and he lets the foxes out in pairs and he lets them run all through the Philistines' crops and he burns their food supply to the ground. 
Do you think God's got their attention now? Man, you could annoy me. You can call me names. You could, you know, you could pilfer things from me, but take my refrigerator away and you got my attention. You couldn't go buy more at the store. This happened to Israel all the time. Their enemies would come in and steal their food. They would cultivate crops. They would grow the crops, and it was time to harvest. The Amalekites or the Philistines or who, whoever it was, they would swoop in the Midianites, and they would steal the food. Now God is doing back to them what they did to his people. He does it with 300 foxes. He burns their crops to the ground, and he gets their attention. Now the Philistines are provoked. Uh, Samson's wife that he was to marry there and her father and all their household were seen now as the target the philistines were mad at them so what did they do they burned her alive they burned him alive and they burned their whole house down judgment what was this family's only crime that samson picked her with his eyes seems like a pretty ugly situation here samson you know The whole house is burnt down. In verse 7 and 8, it says, now he feels justified in taking revenge. And it says, he smote the Philistines hip and thigh. Smote means he struck them viciously. So he he attacks them again. He takes his vengeance upon them. And then he says, it's finished, I'm done. Here's the problem, though. While Samson felt like the feud was over, the Philistines were again provoked, and they decide to escalate the situation. You know, we should understand here, when you go tit for tat with somebody, when you go back and forth, when you got to have the last word, when you're online and you're arguing with somebody, don't look so innocent. And you want to get, you know, I want to get that, I'm going to tell them, and it gets uglier and uglier. And, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you think, well, I'm done. I've said my piece. Well, that other person might not be done. And they might decide to escalate the situation. You know, A soft answer, a kind answer, turns away wrath. Samson's stirring it up. God's stirring it up. Yeah, it's for vengeance here uh, upon them. It's for deliverance. But we should take some notes here that, you know, he said, oh, I'm all done. Well, the Philistines weren't all done. And they wanted to, you know, they wanted to keep this whole thing going. So they put thousands of men together, and they're coming to, to get him. And what happens is Israel hears about that. In, uh, you know, verses 11 through 13 of chapter 15, the men of Judah, they come together because they hear the Philistines are massing an army. And what do they decide to do? They decide, Samson, you smacked the hornet's nest. And you know what? We don't want any part of it. So we're going to hand you over to the Philistines. Isn't it great having countrymen? Isn't it great having people that got your back that you can rely on? I'm trying to deliver you. God's raised me up as a judge. You don't have my back enough to, you know, no, we're, we don't want to fight. We, you know, we're going to just turn you over to the Philistines. So he, he makes some rules with them. He says, all right, you can tie me up. You can turn me over to them. But just, you know, don't touch me yourself. He realized his power was to execute judgment on the Philistines, but not on his own countrymen. So he's like, you can tie me up, you can hand me over, but you know what, just don't fall on me yourself. Don't, don't touch me yourself, and they agree. So he, he gets you know, to this place where they, they tie him up, and they're going to hand him over. And uh, the, one of the men from Judah say this to him, and I want you to hear this in verse 13. Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? Now, I don't know if that affects you, but that's, a really startling statement to me. 
that the people of God would become so comfortable with bondage that they would accept it and not even want to get out from under it. These guys were good sheep. They were thoroughly subjugated. They were defeated in their mind. They were comfortable with being slaves to the Philistines. You say, well, what's the point? The point is this. That same thing happens to us when we give ourselves over to sin. When we give ourselves over to sin so much that we don't even try to get out from under it anymore, that we just feel like, you know what, it's going to rule over me till the day I die. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's something that you give yourself license to do. Oh, God bless you Wednesday night for enduring all the truth flying out of Pastor Rick's mouth tonight. That's a picture of it there. What do I think about those men of Judah who, who told Samson off and said, don't you know that the Philistines are our lords and, and rulers over us? I think they're cowards. I think they're disgusting. I wouldn't even want to be on their team. Maybe you're all right with it, but I'm not. Sheep and cowards. You know what? We have a lot of them in our churches, and we have a lot of them in our nation. And it's a pretty sad state of affair. Most of us don't deserve the freedoms we enjoy. And we're not even willing to stand up for them or fight for them. Only 3% of the colonists fought against the British. 3%. The freedoms you enjoy today came at the hand of God, at the hand of 3% of the people. The rest of the people sat back and, well, let's see what happens. Man, don't be like that. Stand up for the kingdom. Stand up for God. Stand up for righteousness. Be one of the 3%, amen? Samson's doing his job here. These guys are handing him over. Verses 15 and 16, uh, they hand him over. He gets <laughs> the jawbone of an ass, and he kills 1,000 Philistines with it. And uh, in verse 16, I really like this, that he, he writes a little song about it. It says here in 15, he found the fresh jawbone of a donkey and he reached out and took it and killed a thousand men with it. Verse 16, then Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have killed a thousand men. Not going to be in the top 10. Not one of the greatest lyricists of all times. But he celebrates God's victory, and, and it's miraculous here. It's, a, it's an awesome exploit. You're saying, you know, is, is this what's going to land him in the Hall of Fame of Faith? Not really. We're going to get to that. But as incredible as this is, this isn't it. Uh, the fourth exploit that he does is he rips down the gates of Gaza in Judges 16, 1 through 5, and he carries them away up a mountain. So he's just fresh from killing a 1,000 men with the jawbone of an ass. He goes to Gaza, and what does he do there? He shacks up with a prostitute. Does, that, does this make anybody's head spin? God just used him, just anointed him. Mighty victory, incredible, supernatural. Eh. Goes to Gaza, and he goes right into the house of a prostitute. See, his presumptuousness and his recklessness going to catch up with him, but I want you to see the pattern here. The people of Gaza, they see him go into the, the prostitute's house, and they decide that they're going to they're gonna wait till the morning when he's good and tuckered out. They're going to get him surprised, and they're going to kill him. 
And they haven't figured out yet that they can't kill him because, you know, what? God has anointed him to judge them. But Samson tricks them and he wakes up at midnight. And what does he do? He goes to the city gates. Now, this wasn't a little, like a little gate at a picket fence here. It had posts. They were in the ground. It had a big beam across it. There was metal working on it, a massive, heavy, uh, sturdy gate. What does he do? He rips the posts out of the ground. He carries it on his shoulders, and he brings it up to a mountain uh, across from Gaza there, and he, and he puts it up on top. What in the world is he doing? God is using him once again to provoke the Philistines. A thousand wasn't enough. These guys still weren't getting the, you know, they're kind of like Pharaoh, let my people go, but they're hard-hearted, and they think, you know, we're going to get advantage over him. God allows them to be provoked one more time, and now in Judges 16, Samson meets his nemesis, and her name is Delilah. For the next 20 verses of Judges 16, 1 through 20, Samson and Delilah play some really dangerous games that eventually have catastrophic consequences for Samson. Uh, they use Delilah. They know this guy has a weakness for women. They tell her to go, set him up, find out the secret to his strength. For 20 verses, they go back and forth. Well, if you tie me with this, well, if you chain me with that. Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And they come in, and he, he pulls the chains, he pulls the ropes apart, and he gives him a whipping, and, and he won't tell her what you know, the secret of his strength is, but eventually she wears him down. Now understand the nature of sin. If you play with it long enough, hello, Wednesday night. You're looking tired. It looks like you're checking out on me. If you play with sin long enough, it will wear you out. Oh, no, I would never do that. I'm too strong to do that. I would never give myself over to that. Don't play with sin. When you read what Samson does here in verse six, uh, chapter 16, you're thinking, this guy is an idiot. She's wearing him out. She's wearing him down. Look, guys, we know no one can be as persistent as a lady. I don't even fight with my wife anymore. I've just learned after how many years? 28? 28. Yes, dear. She wore him out. You say, well, why did she wear him out? Because he gave her every opportunity to wear him out. And that's the way sin is. Don't play with sin. Don't take fire into your bosom. Uh, she, she messes with him. He goes back and forth. She's really persistent. Finally, uh, you know, he's about to give in. And verse 20 is the tragedy of all tragedies here. Uh, you know, th this to me is the, you know, the saddest part of this whole thing is that the Holy Spirit leaves him. You know, he tells the secret of the strength. He gets his hair cut off, and the Holy Spirit leaves him, and he thinks, well, when they come in, I'm just going to do what I always do. I'll shake off whatever they tie me with, and I'll just lump them all up, and it's going to always go that way. But the Holy Spirit had left him, and he didn't even notice. And there again, Samson's exploits here are a study on the nature of sin. Because that's exactly what happens to us when we give ourselves over to things. You know, the judgment or the penalty or the consequence might not come instantly. Don't you wish, you know, every time you did something bad, like you would light up a certain color for two days? So everybody would know and you'd be embarrassed and you'd quit. Some of you are way too serious. But that doesn't happen. He plays the game. And when the Holy Spirit finally says enough, and withdraws himself, Samson doesn't notice. 
and the results for him are catastrophic as they are for any of us if we give ourselves over to sin because at some point, the judgment is going to catch up. Verse 21, show the consequences of his presumptuousness and his recklessness. And they, they seize him, it says here, and they gouge out both of his eyes. I mean, think about that. If you, uh, the pain of that, you know, they say, you know, having your eyes removed is one of the most painful things. Your optic nerve that's attached to the eye is one of the most sensitive nerves. And when they gouged those eyes out, he felt every pain of it the whole entire time. They gouge out his eyes. They chain him up. They carry him away. They bring him to their, you know, to their headquarters, and they chain him up, and they make him grind grain like some sort of animal, like a beast of burden. So here's this man that God raised up to be a judge and deliver Israel from the Philistines, and now the Philistines have captured him and chained him up, and they're using him for sport and for entertainment. Can it get any sadder than that? And there again, it's a study of the nature of sin. Because if we allow ourselves to play with sin, eventually it'll wear us out and we'll give ourselves over to it. And eventually it will bring us into bondage and subdue us. It will short circuit our God potential. It will short circuit our calling and it will leave us bound, chained, and humiliated by the enemy. A really sad situation here. One that was avoidable, uh, yet Samson's character flaws finally get the best of him. No, it's Samson's eyes that got him in trouble all the time. I want her. I want her. I, I, get me her. I'm going to go sleep with her. I, I want Delilah. His eyes, he, he chose with his eyes. And what's the first thing that the enemy takes from him when he gets the advantage over him? It's his eyes. The enemy took advantage of his lack of character and took his eyes from him. And a very sad situation here. Understand that's the, the way the enemy is. He wants to destroy us. He wants to short-circuit our calling. He wants to estrange us from God. And he attacks us, uh, you know. So what we look at is very important. You know, couple this with, with what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 29. Jesus said, if, now if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Whoa, Jesus, do you know how much that hurts? Yeah, it'll hurt. But here's what he says, and throw it away from you, for it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Ouch. Huh. That's not one of Jesus' warm, cuddly, fuzzy moments. That's just him being really straight that, you know what, uh, Samson's eyes got him in trouble. Our eyes can get us in trouble. If you have trouble with what you look at, uh, you'd be better off tearing your eye out and throwing it because... It'll destroy your soul. And that's what I want you to see here. Now, God is gracious to Samson. He is not lost. He is not destroyed. Um, you and I need to be very careful what we look at, what we fix our gaze on, what we allow to captivate us. You see, that's what Samson's issue was. He saw something, he got excited about it, and he let it captivate him to the point where he didn't even have good sense anymore. He just wanted what he saw. Now he can't see anything blind he's chained up he's a beast of burden and the enemy uses him for sport judges 16 28 through 30 of all the exploits we talked about 
and we get the, the, the nature of sin and the character of sin and understand its implications, here's where I feel this is the one area that allowed Samson to wind up in the Hall of Fame of faith. It's the one area where he uses a little bit of faith. And even in that, he still has issues with his motive. It says here in Judges 16, 28, Then Samson called to the Lord and said, Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me just this time, O God, that I may at once take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. Let's just stop there. Right thing to humble yourself, right thing to call out to God, right thing to ask God to allow you one more time to, to be used according to your purpose. His purpose was to judge the Philistines. His purpose was not to grind grain for them and entertain them. So all of those things were the right thing. What's the wrong thing? He, his idea, it's still all about Samson. Let me take vengeance on them for my two eyes. Wrong motive. Right response and right humility, but wrong motive. You see, we have to get to the point where it's not all about us. God, you know, avenge me of this, or, or God, or, or punish that person for what they did for me, to me, or, or God, you know, restore to me, you know, what, what, all the years that I wasted. At some point, it needs to not be about us anymore. Samson never really learned that lesson, but God in his grace heeded his cry and gave him that one opportunity to be used again. Now, verse 29 says, then Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested. So they're in sort of some sort of coliseum. It's got a balcony. You got all the, the important people sitting up there. You got all the people being entertained. They're using them for sport. He, what does he do? He presses up against the pillars that the house rested on and he braced himself against them then one with his right and the other with his left. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Again, really strange here. And he pushed outwardly powerful so that the house fell on the governors and all the people that were in it. And the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed during his lifetime. Now, if you're not quite sure what to think about that ending there, I, uh, I'm with you. Because in a way, it's suicide. In a way, it's really sad. In a way, you know, God uh, could have used him in so many other ways. Why is this the way that the matter concludes? It was God's grace covering as much of his recklessness and presumptuousness as possible. But his end was still according to the wages of sin, and it was death. One of the sad parts is his family comes and claims his body and they take him back and they bury him. And I think about those two godly parents. And I think about that mother who carried a, a child of promise in her womb that was barren. And this is, the final, this is the final outcome here. If you're human at all, you can't help but saying this is a little bit sad. And I want you to see that. That's the price of sin. That's the price of presumptuousness. That's the price of being reckless with grace because there's always a cost to pay. Samson accomplished his purpose, but only by God's grace. It was the sin that beset him and all the character flaws that he never addressed. Even, even that he says, here, let me die with the Philistines. What? Why would you want to die with your enemies? He had been, become so immersed in their culture, he identified more with them than he did with the people of God. 
So, I'm sorry. You all look sad now. I'm just preaching it the way it lays in the text, amen. Um, was it God's will? Absolutely. Did God accomplish his purpose? Absolutely. What can we learn from this? That, you know what, sin has a price tag to it. God's grace is bigger than it, but we want to avoid it at all costs. How did Samson wind up in the Hall of Fame? Just because he had enough faith to humble himself and cry out to be used one more time, and God heard his cry, and God counted it as faith, and he counted it as righteousness for him. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I just thank you tonight for these people that have come on a Wednesday here to hear your word. I pray that each of them got something special from you. God, that they would go home with a deposit in their hearts, with a, a principle, with a gem from the word that you've given to them. Father, let each of us remember all the lessons we can learn here from Samson. Lord God, that when it comes to sin, uh, we should drive it far from us and embrace holiness. Father, then we can accomplish your purposes in our lives without a cost, without a price tag that we don't need to pay. God, help us to remember that the wages of sin are death, and that we should embrace holiness, and we should serve you in holiness, because in there lies the reward of knowing you and being used by you. And We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I guess we should take an offering. Yeah, we didn't do that, did we? Anybody want to throw me a plate? No.